0: If you have your Bible's turn to James chapter 5. Would you do that please? James chapter 5. So good to see you again tonight and be back in God's house. If you're thankful to be a child of God, would you say amen? amen. It is the greatest privilege that we will ever have is to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for that and thankful to meet so many uh, new friends today. It just amazes me. It shouldn't anymore, but it, it still does that, that I grew up in a small little town in the southwest corner of Kansas, 20,000 people on a good day, and I can come all the way across the United States of America having never met you, worshipped with you, studied God's Word with you, and feel a kindred spirit. I love that about the family of God, don't you? That we have a lot of differences from place to place and church to church. But we are brought together by the blood of Jesus Messiah. And there's something that is special about that. There's something that we share in Jesus that you just can't replicate. And we can lay aside a bunch of geographical differences, cultural differences, little nuances here and there, and come together around the fact that we love Jesus. And we love His Word and the Holy Spirit indwells us all. Well, I wanted to talk a little bit more about how I felt about uh, the Thompson family, this morning just felt like I needed to get into the message, but I am so grateful uh, for them. I've become a little more acquainted with his family at large uh, just yesterday being at their home. Um, but we've had your pastor out on two separate occasions, and I'm thankful that you loaned him out to us for that. He came and, and spoke at what we call Focus on the Family Weekend at Fellowship Baptist, and uh, I, I've always at least from afar, now I've seen it up close, I've always admired his family from afar. And and just seems to me like his wife, his kids have such a good spirit. And I always thought to my either they put on a really good show, or he's doing a good job. And I, I'm thankful to report to you, he's doing a good job. And it's not a show, and, and just, just what the, the truths he brought to our church and our parents, our marriages. That weekend that he was with us was a special help. Our people still talk about it from time to time, some stories he told, and, and some really bad dad jokes he told from the pulpit. Have y'all heard the Jurassic Park joke that he tells? Tiffany, you know that one? It's behind your back everywhere he goes. He, said, he tells this joke. But he, he I, I was telling your youth pastor today, he went to lunch with, with the cabins today, and I said, your pastor is like the king of canned jokes. When he goes out places, he can stand in a pulpit, I can't do it, but he can stand a pulpit and, and, and give like, you know, three minutes of these planned, choreographed jokes, and people still laugh. It amazes me. He pulls it off. It's a rare gift from the Lord, and so, um, but I, I really do love him. Um, you know, it's the ethical thing to do when you visit another church and stand in another pastor's pulpit. It's an ethical thing to do to find something nice to say, right? Um, And sometimes you got to search really hard. I don't have to search long to talk about your pastor, his staff, this church. And uh, I'm just so grateful and truly have a kindred spirit here. I just so appreciate the opportunity to preach to your young people uh, coming up at Ironwood starting tomorrow night. I hope you'll pray. I really do. Um, We can prepare sermons, and and the camp can prepare for us to come, and, and the youth pastors can do everything they can do. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit has to do it right? We, we can't manufacture anything, and even if we could, we wouldn't want to, because n- none of those decisions last, right? We want heart transformation, not behavior modification, and the Holy Spirit's the one that brings that about. So if you'll pray all week long that God would give us good health, and, and give us good strength, and clarity of thought as I preach, ability to connect to the young people that I don't know, and, and just ask that the Holy Spirit would use His Word to accomplish a great work. I'm just going to preach two verses tonight. James chapter 5. Um, verses number 19 and 20, the last two verses of the book. James 5, verse 19 through 20. I want to read them, and then we'll jump in tonight. Brethren, if any of you do err, or err, or you could say wonder, stray, drift from the truth, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death, and shall hide a multitude of sins." Two simple verses. I'm going to title the message this tonight, Helping the Wanderer. Helping the Wanderer. I want to pray real quick. You pray as I pray that God would speak to our hearts. Father, we love you. We don't take an opportunity for corporate worship for granted. We don't take it for granted that we can come. Uh, into a nice building like this, an air-conditioned building, we can sing as loud as we want without fear of reprisal. We don't take for granted our health tonight to do this. The capacity that you've given each and every one of us to get out of bed today, to come and to put one foot in front of the other. Lord, we thank you so much for the hope we have in Jesus. And I pray that, that as we preach your word tonight, the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts I'd be careful to thank you for everything that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most heartbreaking yet regular things about being a Christian and really an involved church member is watching the people you love wander away from God. Perhaps you watch a family in your church that endures a painful trial. Because of that painful trial, you watch them slowly disconnect themselves from the people of God. They may not say it out loud, but you sense from afar what's happening in their hearts. Their confusion and their, their lack of answers for why has this happened in our life has led them to be just a little bit less passionate about God. Because of their trial, they slowly disconnect from ministry, they slowly stop attending the services they used to attend, and sometimes they leave church altogether. In an almost polar opposite way, you see others who do attend church, but yet that's the entirety of the expression of faith for them. They they aren't, there aren't any real works for Christ that show from their life. In fact, apart from one hour on Sunday, their supposed allegiance to Christ is nearly forgotten. You can just tell by their social media profile, by their reputation at work or at school or, at, or, or in town. They, they say they're Christians, but in every sense of the word, they don't really live like it. Then there are others who don't drift in the sense of leaving church or, or leaving the truth or the faith, but, but they drift in their character, they drift in their integrity. A believer that was once a humble, submissive person with that kind of spirit becomes a gossip. A person who had a servant's heart becomes a divisive person, always finding themselves around trouble or, or in the middle of some kind of controversy. Did you know that each of the scenarios I just described are actually 21st century examples of the same spiritual issues that James was addressing in his letter? The person who drifts from the faith during a trial, they're addressed in chapter 1. The person who's, who has faith but not works is addressed in chapter 2. The divisive person who uses their tongue for evil is addressed in chapter 3. See, while this letter from James has been preached and read in churches for thousands of years, the reality is there will always be Christians who find themselves wandering away from its truths. That's why James closes his book by telling these believers that he loves so much and pastored at one point, and he tells us what we're supposed to do when a Christian brother or sister around us wonders or drifts or errs away from what they know is right. Now you would think that, that James would address the wonders themselves. He would talk to the ones who have left the truth. But instead, he closes his book by talking to those who still remain, those who haven't strayed. And in short, he tells them this, go after the wanderer, go get the wanderer, help the wanderer. Let me ask you tonight, what do you typically do when someone you love wanders away from the Lord? How do you respond? Do you intervene? Do you check in? You just leave them to make their own decision because after all, it's between them and and God? Do you quietly pray in your pew and hope they'll someday return back to church? Or do you go after them? Do you take a step toward the wonder with grace and love and compassion? Listen, there's all kinds of ways and responses that that we would have toward the wonderers in our life. It reminds me of of a man I read about that wandered off on his own. He fell in a ditch and he couldn't get out. When he was down in the ditch, a realist came by. The realist said, This is a ditch and you're in it. Then he walked on by. An optimist came by and said, I believe in you. I believe you can get out of the ditch. Then he walked on by. A pessimist came by and said, You'll never get out of that ditch. Then he walked on by. A philosopher walked by and said, you only think you're in a ditch. Then he walked on by. A reporter came by and said, I'll pay you for an exclusive story of life in a ditch. And he walked on by. A city official came by and said, did you have a permit for being in the ditch? And he walked on by. An IRS agent came by, said, have you paid your taxes for being in the ditch? Then walked on by. Brother Thompson, a preacher even came by and said, I see three noteworthy facts about being in a ditch. But then a friend came by and said, give me your hand. I want to help you out of the ditch. A Christian friend is somebody who walks in when everybody else walks out. The kind of person that stops and lends a hand when everybody else walks on by. Is that what you do when you see a brother or a sister in Christ wander away from the truth and fall? Do you reach out a hand or do you just walk on by? Do you even notice they're not here? The way you answer that question tonight is so important, it could make the difference between somebody staying connected to God or walking away from the truth to never come back again. Your response, or lack thereof, could make the difference not, in, not just in that person's life, but, but, but in that person's future, for that person's family, for their spouse, for their kids, even their church. And this is what James closes his book with. He uses two verses to give us three reasons for why we should help the wondering Christian. Would you look at verse 19 again? brethren? If any of you do err from the truth and one convert him why should you go after the wanderer here's why number 1 you should help the wandering christian because it's your responsibility it's your responsibility You'll notice that James doesn't use a bunch of ink trying to convince these believers of their responsibility to help their friend who's drifted away from the truth. And here's why, because he simply assumes that believers already know this is their responsibility. This is why he cuts to the chase. Church, he says, brethren, those of you who are saved, those of you who have been redeemed by the blood, th- those who gather together to worship every week, there's going to be those among you who err, who, who, who wonder, who, who drift from what they know is right. And then notice the end of verse 19, how he words the next phrase. He says this, and one convert him. He didn't say if, if one of you wander away from the truth, it's probably a good idea. I mean, if you have time, if it's not too awkward, if it's part of your God-given personality, I mean, it's probably a good idea to go and help that person. No, James says, if any of you wonder from the truth, and one of you converts the wonder, he takes for granted that you'll go after them. He simply assumes that the default response of God's people will be to go and rescue their wondering brother or sister in Christ. Just like if you saw a child drowning, it's assumed if you're a decent person that you stop what you're doing and go help the child. And James assumes the same thing among believers. If one is struggling, the other will just go and help. He assumes that because this is what Jesus taught. This is what the other epistles teach. Luke 15, verse 4, Jesus said, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he finds it? Jesus is assuming a good shepherd goes after lost sheep. It's what they do. Galatians 6, 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such in one in the spirit of meekness. First Thessalonians 5, 14, now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Notice not a single one of these commands was given to just the pastor or the deacons, but rather to the brothers and sisters inside of the church, to the Christian layperson, to you. Sadly, though, this idea of going after the wondering Christians in our lives, though it's so clearly assumed in Scripture, it's not happening among, among most Christians and in most churches today. Now, welcoming back the wanderer, we do decently well. I don't think there's anybody at the doors saying, hey, man, you haven't been here in six months. Tell me what it's about. You're not welcome until you prove yourself. I think probably at Liberty Baptist Church, just like at Fellowship Baptist Church, if you don't see somebody for a year and they come back to church, you're probably greeting them with a handshake. You're probably saying, praise the Lord, they're back. We aren't bad at doing that, but going to the wondering Christian? Not so much. Why? Why do most Christians struggle? About the idea of going after the wondering, I I, I thought of a a couple of reasons. First, I think a lot of Christians have seen it done the wrong way. And and it's our human tendency to overcorrect, isn't it? And so we just don't do it at all. Maybe you've seen a a Christian confront a wondering, backslidden believer with an overbearing, nosy spirit. Thinking it's, it's their job to tell everyone in their life what to do and what not to do. And oftentimes, those people, what I found at least, are more focused on their preferences than on moral and biblical truth. So it only leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And the truth is tonight, you might have been a victim of somebody's hateful approach. You were the wonder at some point in your life, and the people that claim to be God-loving Christians guilted you and shamed you and gossiped about you. And it's only by God's grace that you made your way back to God's house despite the way you were treated when you weren't at God's house. But because of how you were treated, you may refrain from this type of confrontation completely because you don't want to do to someone else what some Christian did to you. Some of us may not go after the wonder because our American value of privacy and independence has taken this unhealthy precedent over the Bible. Now we all operate under this false assumption that we're going to deal with our problems and mind our own business while letting others deal with their problems, and they can mind their own business, and if they want my help, then they'll ask. There are some in here who are naturally people pleasers. You don't want to risk coming across judgy or pushy or better than another person, and so your insecurity about how you'll be perceived keeps you from doing what you know you should do by way of biblical confrontation. And to be frank, some don't go after the wonders in in their church because they're not connected enough to anyone in their church to even know if they're wondering in the first place. Whatever the reason, church members today aren't very good at fulfilling this responsibility Instead, here's what we're good at, just ignoring it. We become used to the fact that there will be some in our church that are really faithful and there will be some that are really hit and miss. So we come here every week to worship with the ones who are here and ignore the fact that there are a lot of people who aren't here but should be here. We can almost be numb to who's not here, if we even notice it at all. In the back of our minds, as lay people of a church, you may be thinking that's what we pay our pastor to do. He has the hard talks. He he goes after the person that hasn't been there in two months. Oh, I know I haven't seen this person who used to stand on my row and worship with me every Sunday. I haven't seen them in over a year, but, but surely somebody on the pastoral staff is making contact with them. We just ignore it. We, 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 we give the, the responsibility to somebody else, or here's what we're good at. We talk about the wanderer, but never to them. For instance, when when someone stops attending church, the response is usually asking another church member something like this, have you seen so-and-so? And And when it's agreed upon that they haven't attended in this long span of time, said people agree. You know what, that's sad, but they never go talk to the person. A good rule of thumb in any church is this, if something tempts you to talk about somebody, that's a good indicator you should be talking to that somebody. Here's another common response to the wondering Christians in our lives. We pray for them, but we never follow up our prayer with action. Now, I'm not discouraging prayer at all in this process of, of ministering to wondering Christians, but often the answer to our prayers are our own actions, filtered and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm afraid that, that we have come to justify our lack of pursuing the wanderer by saying something like this, well, all we can do is pray, when sometimes we can and should do more than that. I don't know if you're catching my burden today for the lack of personal responsibility taken by the lay people of good churches to first notice when someone is wondering, to second pray for that person, and third go after them with the intent of helping them find their way back to the Lord. I'm burdened tonight by how many wanderers are still blinded by their sin because one or two people from their church who they respect and who they admire and who they're close to have never went after them to tell them that they're straying from the truth and that they're not living in submission to Christ. I wonder how many who used to be a part of Liberty Baptist Church would still be here if someone in their growth growth group cared enough to go after them when they first started wandering away. I wonder how many teenagers and college students who've grown up in this good church and who were taught good Bible truth their entire life would still be here, had another teenager or college student spoken up and said something to them when they first started to see them drift. I wonder how many marriages in this church would still be intact, had another couple in this church cared enough to intervene when they first saw the signs of of an unhealthy marriage. It's not just your pastor's responsibility. It's not just your pastoral staff's responsibility. It's not just the deacon's responsibility. It's every Christian's responsibility to help the wanderer. If you know of a wandering Christian in this church right now, or in your growth group, or someone you used to serve with here in a ministry, or someone that used to sit on your road during services, and they're no longer here, or they're not here as much, or they're starting to slowly disconnect, don't just sit there and watch it happen. Lovingly, graciously, compassionately, patiently, see what you can do to bring them back to the Lord. Somebody say amen. Amen. It's your God-given responsibility. That's the first reason. But then verse 20 gives us two more. Look, Look at the first part of verse 20. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error's way, watch here, shall save a soul from death. Why should you go after the, the wonder? Here's the second reason. Because you can save them from the painful consequences of sin. Now when James says that, that when you go after the one that's wondering, and you try to convert them or, or rescue them, save them from, from death... He's not talking about eternal separation from God in hell. We know he's talking about believers because at the beginning of verse 19, he says, brethren, if any of you to err from the truth. So he's talking about believers who who are in Christ but are now straying from Christ. When James says, save a soul from death, it is possible that he could have been talking about physical death. After all, if you know the book of James, a few verses up. He alludes to sickness that is caused by someone's sin and the need to confess the sin in order to prevent death. I believe, though, James is likely talking about death in the same way he talked about it in chapter 1 in verse 15 that says this, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Talking about the the general consequence of sin is the opposite of a living and vibrant relationship with God. Wouldn't you agree? When you wonder from the Lord, your fellowship with Him is greatly hindered. Sometimes it feels dead. On top of that, though, sin can cause our joy to be stolen. Sin can cause our peace to be robbed. It can cause the stress in our life to be increased. It can cause our health to decline. It can cause our finances to be a mess. It can cause our family to fall apart. It can lead us to addictions that last a lifetime. Hear me, sin is painful. But when you have the courage and the faith to help a wondering Christian in your life, you get a share in the joy of rescuing them from the painful consequences of their sin. When when you stick out your neck and and kindly encourage a wondering person that they're missed and and that you want to see them come back to God's house, then you're helping save them from the tragedy of distancing themselves from the Father. When you reach out to the person who's become captured by some type of sin, you you can help save a marriage. You you can save a relationship with a child. You can save someone from the pain of lifetime addiction, When, when we really realize how, how uh, painful that sin is, it might help us to realize that the most loving thing that we can do is reach out and help. The most cruel thing we can do is sit down and watch. That's why you should help the wanderer because it's your responsibility, and because there's a chance you can save them from the awful, painful consequences of their sin. And look at the last phrase of verse 20. He said, let him know that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save us soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Reason number three for why you should help the wondering Christian, because you can save them from destroying their testimony. Perhaps the longest lasting effect That sin has in our life is what it does to damage our reputation, sometimes forever. You ever heard it said that that a testimony takes years to build, but moments to destroy? That is so true. And hear me, church, that's exactly what Satan wants to do in your life. He wants you, he wants me to continue in our sin so long that we ruin our testimony among our family, at our workplace, in our community, at our church, at our school, and then in turn ruin our church's testimony among the community. When you go after the wanderer, you're not only protecting a drifting Christian from harming themselves, you're you're saving them from harming their effectiveness for Christ and potentially their church's effectiveness for Christ. Wasn't it Proverbs that said something like this, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches? That means a good testimony is more valuable than money or possessions. Now I want you to think about that. If someone is checking out their groceries in front of you and they drop a $100 bill out of their wallet on accident, you'll likely pick it up and give it to them if you're a decent person. Or if you see some suspicious activity going on at your neighbor's house. You think maybe somebody has broken into their house. If you're a decent person, you're going to call the police. Why? Well, because money and possessions are valuable, and you want to help your friends and neighbors protect those things. Yet what do you do to help your friend and fellow Christian protect their testimony? What do you do to help protect and preserve the testimony of Liberty Baptist Church? James says a testimony is more valuable than money. When you see a brother or sister making foolish, selfish, destructive, impulsive decisions that could affect the way somebody sees their testimony, or the testimony of their family, or the testimony of their church, do you do what you can do to keep them from making that decision or going in that direction? Whether it be a sexually immoral decision, or or a shady business deal, or a selfish act of anger toward another person, or a sinful habit, or just simply a negative attitude toward their church, anything that stands the chance to hurt their testimony for Christ, do you try to intervene? Do you try to say something to change their mind? Do you take the risk of disagreeing with them? If someone from your church, from this congregation, was walking out to their car tonight, and, and they dropped their credit card in the parking lot on the way out, you would speak up without thinking about it. Hey, here's your credit card, you dropped it. Yet they could be making a far more consequential mistake with their life, and we often say nothing. Do you see why it's so very important to go after the wonder? It may be hard. It may be uncomfortable, and it may be risky, but I say on the authority of God's word, it ought to be the culture of every local church. That's why the author of Hebrews said that you go to church as much as you possibly can so that you can provoke one another to love and good works. And don't put that responsibility on your lead pastor. He can do a lot of provoking from the pulpit and some out of the pulpit, but this is too big of a church for him and his wife or any of their ministry staff to take care of by themselves. He wouldn't even have to hire a staff if he could do it all. It ought to be the culture of Liberty Baptist Church, it ought to be the culture of Fellowship Baptist Church in Liberal, Kansas, that when a brother falls, we all head to restore them. When a sister strays, we're texting. Hey, I missed you on Sunday, would love to see you again. Is there anything I can pray for you about? Don't go to the extreme and think, no, 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 we don't want to be that church that's in everybody's business, and and we're legalistic, and we're we're, we're just breathing down everybody's neck. Don't do that. Don't go to that extreme. But there's somewhere in the middle. There's somewhere where, where, where you, who are spiritual, in a spirit of meekness, can restore a wondering brother or sister. The most cruel thing we can do is sit in a pew, sing a song, give in the offering, serve in a ministry, go home, come back six days later, do it again, and do that all year long without thinking, what about the person who hasn't been here with us? That is so cruel. As cruel as letting a child drown and watching it. God, give us courage to go after the wonders in our life. I close by telling you a story I read about recently. It's about a teenager. He had gone through this rebellious season. It had gotten worse. It ended up in a a huge argument with his parents in which he said things that no teenager should ever say to his parents. He stormed out of the house. About a week later, he was sorrowful for his hurtful words and, and his rebellious ways, his impulsive attitude. But he thought he said some things that has that, that had brought him to a point of no return with his mom and dad. So this teenage boy wrote a letter of apology, and then he dropped it off at the front door while his parents were at work, and he had, he admittedly says that the reason he didn't like take it to him at work or wait till they came home is because. He didn't want to face rejection from his own parents. On that letter, he wrote this. After school tomorrow, I'm going to pass by, and I'd like a sign. If all is forgiven, would you go into my room and get those blue sheets off my bed and hang them on the line in front of the house? If I see the blue sheets, I'll know I'm welcome to come home. But if I don't, I'll pass on. I won't bother you anymore. When the sun rode by the next day, he was shocked by what he saw. Because little did he know that that after the parents got his note, they didn't just go get his sheets off the bed. They went around the house getting any color of any sheet they could find. And the mother, in a labor of love, stayed up all night dyeing every sheet they owned blue. And then she hung them all outside. So as to say loud and clear to her son, it doesn't matter what you've said or where you've been or what you did. You are loved and you are accepted and you are forgiven. So come back home. I don't know about you, but that sounds a lot like God to me. God didn't hang any sheets on the line, but He hung His Son on a cross. So as to say to you and to me and every wondering Christian in our church, no matter what you've done or where you've been, Liberty Baptist Church loves you and forgives you and accepts you, so come back home. And this ought to be the posture and the attitude of every Christian in this local body of believers towards your wondering brothers and sisters, you ought to be willing to do everything short of sin to keep them from pursuing their sin. Why? Because it's your responsibility. Why? Well, because you have potential to save them from the consequences of their sin. Why? Well, because you can save them from damaging their reputation, maybe forever. So, as we move into an invitation tonight, can you see in your mind's eye a wondering Christian? Are you connected to this church enough and to this body of believers enough to look around on any given Sunday morning in your growth group, in the choir, in the children's ministry, in a nursery? People you used to sing with, serve with, give with, pray with, are you connected here enough to be able to think of somebody that used to be here, and now they're not? And how's your heart toward that person? How long has it been since you prayed for them? Or do we come into an amazing God-given facility like this every week, enjoy amazing music, incredible preaching? a healthy culture, and never once think of who's not here. God help this church to have the heart of God for every wondering Christian. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.